Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. We're talking about cooperating with God. And nothing is more important than doing that. We know that he has a wonderful plan for all of our lives. But we also know that he made us free moral agents, did he not? And because of that, it's up to us to use our free will to cooperate with him to do things the way he wants us to do those things so that he can accomplish his purposes and his will in our lives. Remember what Romans Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 tell us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or spiritual duty and responsibility, and be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, perfect, uh, good and perfect will of God, the acceptable and perfect will of God. So in other words, God will do his part, but we've got to do our part as well. And that's easily understood. We know that in every walk of life, we've got to do our part. He's got to do his part. Well, in the book of Proverbs chapter 3, we saw in the first 10 verses that if we will cooperate with him by doing what he said in those first 10 verses, we will promote longevity, favor with God and man. We'll have guidance and direction for our lives. We promote personal health and well-being physically. And then also, we're provided for provision. We can experience provision in our lives. Aren't you glad that he supplies all of our need according unto his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? Sure, thanks be to God for that. But also, we understood that not cooperating with God is not a very good thing. Look in the book of Acts, chapter 7. And beginning at verse 51, this is from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Notice this is Stephen. And Stephen is facing those that are about to stone him to death now you would think he would use some different adjectives but look at what he starts out by saying you stiff-necked people hmm. uncircumcised in heart and ears you always resist not cooperate with but resist the holy spirit as your fathers did so do you which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were so happy and so excited. You awake? They were enraged. And they, what? ground their teeth at him but he full of the holy spirit but what a time to be filled with the holy ghost gazed into heaven and saw the glory of god and jesus standing at the right hand of god hallelujah isn't that a great way to go and he said behold i see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of god but They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. We're talking about religious leaders, Judaizers. 
Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who became Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What a statement. What an example for us to follow. Someone says, I just can't forgive them. He did right there. And so did Jesus when he was dying. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Notice how these individuals resisted the Holy Ghost. They absolutely throughout their lives just refused to cooperate with God. You want to hear Jesus' um, interpretation of this? His commentary on it? Look in Matthew's gospel, chapter 23. Now remember, this is Jesus, and he's perfect in all of his ways. He never sinned. No gal was found in his mouth. And notice what he says to these leaders, scribes and Pharisees. What, this is from the English Standard Version as well. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Who likes to be called a hypocrite? Does anyone like to be called a hypocrite? No one likes to be called a hypocrite. For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus, you witnessed against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Isn't that what Stephen said? Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents and brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. And some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. So that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. From the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Notice these words. And you would not you wouldn't cooperate you refused to cooperate had your own mind had your own will your own ways see your house is left to you desolate empty for I tell you you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord pretty powerful wouldn't you say because they failed to cooperate with God they lost out and God could not accomplish his will in their lives because of their refusal. And even though it was the will of God, even though that Jesus came to do it, they didn't receive it. Not because of God, but it was their fault. Look at the book of Proverbs now, chapter 4, under the heading of life and health. Because once again, there's always a Godward side and a manward side. If we do our part, God will do his part. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. 
for they are life to those that find them and health to all of their flesh. Keep the heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Notice it's up to us as believers to attend to God's word. That's why you're here tonight. You took time out of your busy week just to sit here and receive from the word of God. Why? Because you believe in the word of God. You know the power of the word of God. And we need to hear it constantly. But notice what he says. Here are the instructions that we need to cooperate with. He said, my son, attend. How do I attend to his word? By listening to what he has to say. By thinking about what he has to say. By believing what he has to say. Those are the three things. And it's just like a parent saying to a child, listen to what I'm telling you. Think about what I'm telling you. Believe me what I'm telling you. Have you done that with a child maybe once or twice? Listen to me. Think about it. Especially if they get a little bit older in those teenage years and they've got their own thoughts, their minds, and their own ways and they're pursuing those things and you sit them down and just say, listen. Listen to my words. I've been down that road before. More than once. Think about what I'm telling you right now. I don't want you to make the same mistakes that I've made in my life. Believe me, I'm telling you the truth. It may take a little bit of time, but eventually they may come around and they understand you're right. You've got experience. Well, may I ask you this question? Who has more experience than God Almighty himself? And if we'll listen to him, if we'll think about and meditate upon what he says and what he has to say to us and really believe it from the heart and embrace it, it'll become life to you and health to your flesh. He's not just talking about scriptures that apply to health and healing. That's a part of it. But there's other things he's talking about. For example, faith works by love. And love is the commandment of the new covenant. And if we want our faith to work, we're going to have to live in the realm of love. And what does that mean? Destroy selfishness and not just be looking out for number one for me. We want to be God pleasers, not self pleasers, not men pleasers. We want to be God pleasers. And what about forgiveness? We need to forgive people that have wronged us no matter what the offense might be. Because if we don't, bitterness, the root of bitterness will spring up and do what? Defile us. In other words, send poison through our entire system. So he is saying, listen to my words. As a matter of fact, remember the statement Jesus made? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? Think about that statement. You know what it means to call someone Lord? Back in the day, if he was Lord, whatever he said was law. And you bowed to what he said or you died. So he is saying to people that understand that relationship, and he says, why are you calling me Lord if you're not going to do what I say? Now, I'm not going to immediately judge you for not doing it, but if you were under the rulership of a king, where the, where the king is, there is power and authority, I guarantee you, you would die if you went against the word of the king. Remember Esther? How concerned she was for her own life? Because she would even go to the king who was her husband? On the behalf of the Israelites. But yet they fasted and they prayed. And the hand of God moved. And of course she was shown mercy. She understood the gravity of, of the situation. Well it's up to us to recognize our need. To really submit to the word of God. 
and honor his word so it can become life to us and health to all of our flesh. And then what are we to do? The last part of that, well, the last verse, verse 23 says, and then protect your heart with all diligence. Think about that. We believe in protecting our families, our children, protecting our valuables and so on. But what about our heart? Protecting the heart diligently, putting forth tremendous effort to seeing to it that something that is dangerous and harmful is kept out of the heart. That's what he's saying for us to do. Diligently protect your heart from what is harmful and dangerous. Did you know false doctrine is extremely dangerous to the heart of the believer? Did you know that believing wrong is extremely harmful and dangerous to the heart of a believer? Did you know hearing spewed out doubt and unbelief is very dangerous and harmful to the life of a believer? Did you know that gossip is dangerous and harmful to the life of a believer? We must protect our heart with all diligence. Why? Because from it flow the issues of life. They flow out from the heart of the individual. So these are the instructions that he gives us. And if we cooperate with him, it'll become life to us and health to all of our flesh. Now, next section, we're talking about thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds because they intertwine. If I'm going to protect my heart, there's something I've got to protect it from. Look at the verses first in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 through 5 from the King James. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. You know what that means? That our warfare is in a spiritual sense, in the spiritual realm. It's not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or physical, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations, that's a revelation of where the stronghold exists. It exists within the mind of an individual. Casting down images or imaginations that do what? That exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought every thought to the obedience of Christ. You talk about a warfare that we're engaged in. It's a battle for the mind. Our thoughts, the way we think, how we process information and that sort of thing. The enemy started this way back in the very beginning with Eve when he began to inject within her thought processes his ideas for mankind. And of course she went for it, she bought it and we know what took place afterwards. She heard it. She accepted it. She saw the tree, which is an image. She thought about it as she saw. And finally, it moved her to an action. So the process is this. It starts with a thought. It becomes an imagination. It develops a stronghold, which produces an action in a person's life. So if we want to nip things in the bud, where do we start? With a wrong thought. But remember this. For a thought to be wrong, it has to exalt itself against what? The knowledge of God. If we don't know the knowledge of God, if we don't have the knowledge of God, we're at a disadvantage, wouldn't you say? Do you remember when Jesus was attacked by the devil at all three spheres of man's being, spirit, soul, and body? Did you notice that he didn't muster up some kind of physical strength to combat the enemy? He didn't call for someone to come along and help him, one of his disciples or whoever, at all. No, what he did was, it is written with every temptation the enemy brought his way. He nipped it in the bud by not even allowing a thought to enter into his mind that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. 
no way, he said. You're out. And when the devil even tried to confuse him or to deceive him by quoting scripture himself, did you know the devil can quote scripture? It is written, he said, the angels have charge over you. They're going to bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. So throw yourself off. Once again, it is written. It is written. And that's all it was that, that he did. What does that tell us? The most effective way of resisting the devil and yielding to God is by doing what? Knowing what is written, declaring it, proclaiming it, establishing it as a stronghold in the mind. So what happens is this is how the enemy operates. This is how he controls people's lives. It starts with a thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It produces a picture or an image upon the canvas of that person's heart and they begin to see themselves that way. It becomes a systematic stronghold that produces an action in that person's life. And of course, he's now controlling that life and having his way. We know that he and all of his spirits are out there trying to do what? Enter into human lives for expression. They want to express themselves in this earth in which we live. It could be a spirit of infirmity that bows a woman over for 18 years and she can't lift up herself. But guess what Jesus did to free her? Woman, you are loosed. What a powerful revelation. You may not know it, but you are loosed from that infirmity. And she was completely delivered and set free. But who was controlling her? A spirit of infirmity. In the book of Genesis in chapter 4, we see some examples here. And this goes back right after Adam and Eve, when they had, of course, two children, Cain and Abel. And they were told how to worship God, how to sacrifice to God. And Abel did it God's way, but Cain refused to cooperate with God. Notice this goes all the way back to the beginning. And it reveals to us two paths that we can take. A righteous path or an unrighteous path. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Do you remember Sunday we talked about the scriptures teach us that if we honor God, he will honor us. But if we dishonor him, he'll lightly esteem us. It's apparent to me that Cain dishonored God with his sacrifice. And it's because he sacrificed not the way God said the sacrifice. That would be the only reasoning behind this. So he had no regard whatsoever for his sacrifice. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, cooperation, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Well, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Now whose fault was it? That he became a, a wanderer, a fugitive. 
Whose fault was it? He was cursed. And the ground was cursed. Etc. Etc. God had a great plan for his life, I'm sure. And he even instructed him as to how to enter into it and experience. But because Cain refused to cooperate with God, he was denied experiencing what God had for him. It's a sad scenario, but it's true. It happened. It'd be a whole lot better to do it God's way, wouldn't you say? And then we have another unique individual by the name of Ananias. And this is a New Testament example. And we see this in Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? What are we to protect with all diligence? Our heart. Why? Because out of it flow the issues of life. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. Wow. Pretty powerful, wouldn't you say? But notice, he did not protect his heart with all diligence. He bought the lie. And if you could just think it through, I'm sure it began as a thought. Now, I don't know if he started it or Sapphira started it, his wife, but one of them did. But obviously, it originated with the devil himself because Peter said, why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart with this deceit? So they bought the lie of the enemy. They listened to what he had to say. And no one is exempt from thoughts entering into our minds that originate with the enemy. You realize that. We're told, give no place to the devil, no entry points to the devil. Don't allow him to enter into our thought lives. But Ananias did. Of course, it then became an image. I'm sure he saw himself walking up to Peter and all them and, and presenting it to them and believing that he was going to what look good in front of them. Peter made it very clear, it's your money. You can give as much as you want. You can hold back as much as you want. You're not obligated by any means to give all of it. It's just up to you to give whatever you want to give. Well, he thought he had to look good and also keep money for himself. And as a result, of course, he lied to the Holy Ghost and was immediately judged and died. And of course, his wife then was also brought in and she did the same thing. She was a part of it and she also died. Now, they died prematurely. Why? Because it was God's intended purpose? Because it was God's will for them to die? You know, too often I hear people say, well, it's, when it's your time to go, you're going to go. It wasn't their time to go. They died as an act of judgment. Those that were bitten by serpents also died prematurely as an act of judgment. The ten spies that spot out the land were judged and immediately died before the Lord because of their doubt and unbelief and swaying the children of God to disbelieve. So they died prematurely. 
And scripture makes it very clear to us there are certain things we can do to prolong our lives or shorten our lives upon the earth. It's up to us to find out what they are and do what? Cooperate with God and do what he said to do. And if we will praise God, we can prolong our lives. Now, when it comes to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's up to us to cooperate with him because this is his dispensation. And more than anything, he has come to reveal Jesus to us, to reveal his work, and to glorify Jesus in the life of the believer. But we can grieve the Holy Spirit if we don't cooperate with him. So we've got some verses here. Look at the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We can grieve the Spirit. And here's how. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Why is it imperative that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you why. Because he's living on the inside of us to carry out the Father's purpose and will for our lives. Because he's the one who quickens our mortal bodies with life. Because he's the one that imparts to us the gifts, the talents, the abilities, and all that we need to carry out the Father's will. So why do we want, do we want to grieve someone who is so important to us? So needful to us. We need him every single day of our lives. This is his dispensation. And he is moving upon the face of the earth right now. And also moving within the hearts and lives of people that honor him. So he's on the inside of us. We don't want to grieve him. How did he say we can grieve him? By corrupt communication proceeding out of our mouths. And when you think of corrupt communication, the very first thing I think people think of is what? Unregenerate people speaking vulgar language. Well, that may be one. One way that you can grieve the Holy Spirit, that could be corrupt communication. But another way would be through gossip, talking about the faults and failures of other people that are not present. Because you see the word corrupt there, it actually means something that is distasteful. Something that leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Something that tastes and smells nasty. It'd be like this, if I can clearly let you know what it's like. Did you ever run over an already dead skunk that just died? Was the smell putrid? And what about the taste? Sometimes you could almost taste it. Isn't that true? It is absolutely putrid nauseating it's horrible and you can't wait to get as far away from it as you possibly can well it's putrid it's rotten it's disgusting it leaves this aftertaste and so on and so it is with corrupt communication when we talk about the faults the failures of other people i'll be honest with you we could take it another step further don't get offended by this if we are one who gloats and always talks about ourselves and we're vain. Remember vain speaking, foolish speaking, evil speaking. You just love being around someone that always talks about themselves, don't you? Say that again. No, you don't. Is this, you can, the, the sense of pride and, and all that's just exuding from that person's life is just distasteful. 
it leaves a bad taste and also a bad fragrance, right? So we can see there's more than one way. So we could talk about the faults and failures of others. We could talk about ourselves and exalt ourselves to such a place of who knows what, and it's not helpful to us. But it's also speech that, and this is so important, speech that creates doubt in people's hearts and minds. Remember the 10 spies that went out and spied out the land? And they brought back word as it was where? In their heart. They didn't protect their heart with all diligence. And so they spewed out of their mouths corrupt communication. You see, they could have done this. They could have said, we spot out the land. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. There are giants in the land. There's walled cities in the land. And as far as we know, they've never been defeated or penetrated by any group of people ever before. But we've got the Lord on our side. We thank him for going before us. He said he would send the angels. That's not corrupt, is it? But what they said was, we're a bunch of grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way we can overcome them. It's an impossibility. That's corrupt communication. That's speech that disheartens the people of God and discourages the people of God. We've been taught the word to teach the word of faith by the apostle Paul, not the word of doubt and unbelief. He called it the word of faith that he preaches. And we as preachers are to preach words that encourage that lift people up, praise God. So, he went on to say, don't use corrupt communication, but use edifying speech. Speech that builds people up. And what kind of speech is that? Speech we know that says, I'm not talking about somebody. I'm not going to talk about the faults and the failures of others and put them down and etc. Why? Because as I judge others, I will be judged as well. I'm not going to use filthy communication. I'm not going to use vulgar speech. I'm not going to use filthy communication of doubt and unbelief in people's lives. I'm going to encourage them with my words. I'm going to build them up with my words. And what does it leave? A good taste in your mouth. A good fragrance in the room when you leave the room. Is that a beautiful place to be in when it's a wonderful fragrance? A refreshing fragrance? Because you've talked about people in such a way so as to build them up and edify them. You realize how easy it is for us to fall victim to the enemy and not protect our hearts and talk about everybody else's faults and failures when we've got them also. Think about it. No one's different, right? You may be challenged in a certain area that I'm not, but vice versa, I'm in, in an area that you're not. And we can all fail and we can all miss the mark. God wants us to use speech that builds people up that lifts people up in the process of doing so what are we doing cooperating with the holy spirit of god and when you cooperate with him praise god all things go well we can also quench the spirit look in that first thessalonians chapter 4 verse 19 quench not the spirit don't frustrate him don't throw a blanket on what he's trying to do or wanting to accomplish i'll be honest with you I just absolutely love our coming together between 6.30 and 7 o'clock and just inviting the Holy Spirit to inhabit our praises, don't you? Amen. Just love it. Such a place of intimacy, such a place of honoring God. 
And you know that he's well pleased with that. So in our praise, in our worship, we're not quenching him. We're inviting him to move and manifest himself in a powerful way. Also, it's important to know that we can neglect the spirit. We can neglect. Look in 1 Timothy or second, First Timothy chapter 4. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which is the Holy Spirit, which is, was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And he's referring to the Holy Spirit within you. It is easy for us to neglect the work or the ministry of the Holy Spirit within. What do I mean by that? You know, sometimes we can go on and if we're not mindful, you might not pray in the Holy Ghost for a while. And if you've been filled with the Spirit, I remember some Pentecostals just saying, oh, I got filled with the Holy Ghost years ago, but I haven't done it in, in such a long period of time. That's called neglect. We don't want to neglect the ministry of the Spirit. We want to activate the ministry of the Spirit. We want to see to it that we stay filled with and full of the Spirit. Just like we shouldn't neglect our Bible reading. We shouldn't neglect our prayer time. We shouldn't neglect the ministry of the Spirit at all. But also, we can cooperate with the Spirit. Notice here in John 7, how do we cooperate with the Spirit? By, first of all, by receiving Him. In the last days, that great day of the feet, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, are you thirsty tonight? If you're thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, that they which believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Here, also we can see how to neglect the Holy Spirit. Many in the body of Christ think they have all the Holy Spirit that there is just because they've been, or they've been saved and baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. That's a wonderful thing, but there's something more. That's why in the book of Acts, we're told on the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we can neglect by not coming thirsty enough you know what I believe? If you are really thirsty, thirsty enough, you will come to Jesus and you will drink. And out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this is the manifestation of the Spirit. And you will speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives utterance. This is the way God did it on the day of Pentecost. It's the way he did it at the house of Cornelius. And those are the two camps, the you got the first of all, you've got the Jewish camp, then you've got the Gentile camp, and they both were filled with the Holy Ghost apart from anything that man had to do with because it was all God. And that set the pattern for all of us to follow. So we can stir up the gift. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Stirring up the gift, stirring up the Spirit on the inside of us. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting out of my hands. So the Holy Spirit who is on the inside of us can be just there dormant doing nothing or he can be stirred up. I'd rather stir him up. I don't know about you, but sometimes my wife gets upset with me because I stir up the kids before bedtime. I don't mean that mad, just like, come on. Now, none of you are guilty of that, right? None of you are out there are guilty of doing something like that. Just, just me. So I had to repent and say I'm sorry. Because you know what I mean by stirring him up, don't you? Getting him all riled up, get him active, you know, 
they may be sitting there relaxing, but then you start tickling them and all that sort of thing. Then all of a sudden they're wide awake and they're ready to go. They want to play and all that. Yeah, then I got to answer to mama. And that's not always an easy thing, but... Stir up the gift of God. Stir up the Holy Ghost. He's on the inside of us. How do I do that? Pray in the Holy Ghost. Praise in the Holy Ghost. Worship God. Speak the word. Proclaim the word. Start thanking the, the Father for the Holy Ghost that is within us. Amen. Stir up this gift of God. And then you'll see other gifts in, in operation. And then also, uh, look at here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Desire the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. Number four spiritual gifts follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts see once again we can neglect this or we can promote this desire spiritual gifts or manifestations but rather that you may prophesy so he's telling us what to do and we want to cooperate with him we can let a day go by and not even think about those scriptures or we can just say wait a minute holy spirit it's a brand new day i can live this day in my strength or i can live this day in yours I can live this day with my abilities or with your abilities. I'm acknowledging that you are on the inside of me. And I'm going to stir you up, praise God, and get you activated in my life. Because I know if I yield to you, good things lie ahead of me for this day. Okay, next one. By acknowledging his indwelling presence. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. By acknowledging his indwelling presence. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have a God, and you are not your own? Praise God, your body, my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Where is he? You know, sometimes we sing songs and say, come by. Well, that's okay if you were talking about bringing in the presence, the manifested presence in your own. But where else is he? Sometimes we're, we don't really become more conscious of the fact that he's indwelling us he's on the inside of us and we can cooperate with him how by just acknowledging the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in me I'm going to say that again the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in me he's dwelling in you and what's he doing in there he's quickening my mortal body you realize he has, has to have something to work with he needs to hear us speak the word if we speak the word praise God then he begins to operate he begins to go into action he begins to do what he is intended to do praise ye the Lord we need to acknowledge his indwelling presence and then by maintaining a spirit filled life by maintaining a spirit or by praying in the spirit that's that's a good one right there by praying in the spirit hallelujah look at our verse by praying in the holy ghost first corinthians chapter four four that should be 14 first corinthians 14 verse 14 amplified bible if we can find that real quick i'll just tell you what it is first corinthians 14 14 not 4 14 so you can correct that in your notes for if i pray in an unknown tongue my spirit prayeth but my understanding is unfruitful. Look at that in the Amplified. Can you pull the Amplified up? My spirit, it says, by the Holy Spirit within me. Notice, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit, by the Holy Spirit within me, prays. But my mind is unproductive. It bears no fruit and helps nobody. So when we pray in the Holy Ghost, my spirit, your spirit, by the Holy Spirit, there's action. There's activity. There's cooperation. There's I'm about ready to shout right now hallelujah you're stirring up the gift and that's what happens you get excited you get enthusiastic it's a river rising up on the inside of you spilling over out of you praise God almighty and as we pray in the Holy Ghost 
We stir up this gift of God and he begins to manifest himself. And then by maintaining a spirit-filled life. Look at this one. Glory to God. In Ephesians chapter 5. Wherefore be not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I want to know the will of God. Do you want to know the will of God? I want to know the will of God. Well what is the will of God? Well the will of God is that we be not drunk with wine. Wherein is excess. But be filled, in the Greek, be being filled with the Spirit. How? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There we have a revelation as to how we can maintain a Spirit-filled life. You know why we're saying all this here tonight? Because when you walk out that door, you are in a world, another world, that's filled with doubt, unbelief, demonic activity, thoughts coming against your mind, disrupting everything you've heard here, trying to get you off track to get you to walk down the wrong path, and that sort of thing. And we need all of God that we can possibly have get and activate in our lives And we need to learn to proclaim that greater is he that's in me than he that is in this world. I'm a world overcomer by my faith in God. I am made more than a conqueror through him that loves me. The Holy Ghost loves to hear those words because when he hears those words, he goes into action. I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. Praise God Almighty. But notice, speak to yourself. Sing to yourself. How? In psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs. How important is this? It activates his ministry. His ministry is to produce healing and health. Even emotional abilities, I believe, are enhanced. We can affect the way we think, our emotions, and that sort of thing. And don't let them have the keys to our tongue. Our emotions should never be given the keys to our tongue like a teenager should rarely be given the keys to a car. (laughs) If they're only 15. (laughs) You get the point though? Absolutely. Yield your tongue to the Holy Ghost. I'll tell you what, it'll help us a whole lot. When, when I mean you are irked beyond words, when you are challenged beyond measure, when it seems like as though everything around you is falling apart, and you want to spew out of your mouth words that grieve the Holy Ghost, go off in tongues. You talk about a benefit. Go ahead and express yourself in another language that comes from Almighty God that he understands and clearly knows that even though you don't, and I guarantee you are tapping into a resource that's going to put you over the top and make you a success. Or you can just go ahead and yield to the doubt and unbelief and all that sort of thing and all that corrupt communication. It'll bring you down and discourage you. Look at John's, uh, the next one is by allowing him to guide us through life. Look at John 16, verse 13. By allowing him, we want to cooperate with him. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Now remember this. If I speak against him, he's not going to be able to show me things to come. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I just never know what to do. I never know where to go. I don't, if you keep talking like that, he can't work with that. You say, but if I'm not knowing what to do, then why should I say? 
Because your faith is speaking. The Holy Ghost always shows me what to do. Always shows me things to come. We need to make a habit of cooperating with the Holy Spirit by speaking words that agree with the Word of God. And if we'll agree with the Word of God, we'll walk with Him because two can't walk together except they be agreed. And the Holy Ghost will hear what we're saying and He'll begin to activate His power and ministry in our lives and he'll, he'll lead us, He'll direct us, He'll guide us and so on. And then finally, look in the book of Acts chapter 27. This is Paul's example, Acts 27 verse 9. You know the story. Paul is captured. He's a prisoner. And of course he's going to. He's already traveling with these individuals. And when they get to a place. Where they shouldn't travel any further. He warns them. But look at what it says. Now when much time was spent. And when sailing was now dangerous. Because the fast was now already passed. Paul admonished them and said to them. Sirs. I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. Who do you think created that perception in his heart? The Holy Ghost did. What did he perceive? Much hurt, much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion, notice this, believed the master and the owner of the ship. More than those things which were spoken by Paul. There's the challenge right there. Do we believe the physical evidences? Do we believe what is logical? Above what God is saying to us by his spirit or through his word? It's easy for us to do that because we're more programmed that way. This is what reason says. This is what we should do. This is how we should act. But the Holy Ghost will come along and, and just as he did for Paul, create a perception within his heart, something on the inside. It may not have been a voice, but a perception. He perceived it. And was he right? Absolutely he was right. And of course, God had mercy upon them. But as time went on, and they saw that they were all going to die, it was a terrible scenario, a terrible situation. They would die prematurely. It wasn't the will of God that they die. He warned them not to get on the boat. Has he ever warned you not to do something? Has he ever warned us not to do something? He's doing it for our own good. Not to, to see to it that he does something bad for us. But something good for us. And it's up to us to take heed. It's up to us to listen. Well as time went on and they were all about to die. An angel appeared to Paul. And I believe if Paul wasn't on that ship they all would have died. Every one of them. Think about that. All that loss of life. All those people would have died. During that time. But because Paul was there. Boy that should tell us all something. Where, when you get on an airplane. That airplane's blessed to have you on it. When you get on a boat. That boat is blessed to have you on it. And so on. Because you're a believer. You've got an appointment. Not in Rome. Maybe it's in Midland or Beaver Falls. Or Aliquippa or wherever it might be. Or Outwood City. Could be up in Outwood City. You never know where it might be. And you've got to be there. So nothing can happen. And what did the angel say to him? Paul, fear not. Don't be discouraged. Fear not. You got an appointment over in Rome, so you can't die. That's all there is to it. So if you listen to me, the angel said, I'll see to it that not only you survive, but also everybody on the boat, but they have to listen this time. And they have to stay on the boat. 
which goes against reason because when the time came when they heard this and he said be of good cheer your life is spared still when they got to the point that they felt like there's nothing more we can do they began to abandon the boat didn't they they put down the smaller boats so they were going to get out he said if you don't cut the line right there and let them go you're all going to die and then they listened to him finally why is it that sometimes we all have that mm-hmm. can we admit that so he let the boat they let the boats go and they obeyed and as a result they survived you see when they cooperated with God they got a miracle if they didn't cooperate with God they would not have had the miracle think about your own life think about yourself right now what more can I be doing to cooperate with God whether it's obeying his word or listening to the voice of his spirit what can I be doing and I'll be honest with you when I first came in was there worshiping tonight it just rose up in my spirit tell my people don't allow their emotions to control their tongue don't allow our emotions to control our tongue you see it's very easy for us to do that isn't it it's very easy but you see just because we may feel this way doesn't mean it has to be that way he is saying exalt my word above your emotions and above your feelings and speak it even though it doesn't feel like anything is happening but if we will by faith proclaim and declare what the word says then guess what will happen you'll activate the ministry of the spirit and he will take charge of the situation amen let's all stand together before the Lord